All right. Hey, you can go ahead and be seated. And man, how's it going, everybody? How are you? Good. It's good to see you this morning, your bright, shining faces. Welcome to Crossroads Church. My name's Chris, one of the pastors here, and I just want to welcome you, those of you who are in-house, those of you who are watching online, uh, welcome today. We are in our third week in a series that we have called Faith Misunderstood, uh, and the whole idea of this series is based on this main idea, that every single human being on the face of the earth has an idea of what God is like. Like no matter if you've been following Jesus for 50 years, uh, if you are maybe still wondering if you should, or maybe you uh, are totally an atheist and you have an idea, every single human being has an idea of, of who God is and what he's like. And we've been asking the question, uh, what if we don't fully understand who he is and what he's like? I mean, if you think about it, it makes sense, right? I mean, God is, is infinite. Like there's no end to him and we are finite. Like, like there's things about God that we understand, but then there's things about God that, that we just don't, that our infinite brains, aren't, or our finite brains aren't actually able to understand. And when we come to faith in him, there's parts of him that we begin to understand. And as we grow in faith, uh, we get to understand more of who he is. I'm not, I'm not talking about what we say we believe. What I'm talking about is what we deep down really believe about God, who he is, and what he's like. And here's why this is important is because what we understand about God, how we interact and how we interact with him are, are, are inseparable. Right, what we understand about who God is and what he's like and how we interact with him are inseparable things. And so could it be that maybe there's parts of him that we don't fully understand or maybe even misunderstand? And so over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at a couple of our uh, misunderstandings about God, and as a result, our postures toward him, that, that how we interact with him. And so week one, we talked about God as genie in the bottle. And when we understand God as genie in the bottle, how we interact with him is like a genie in the, a bottle, that we take the bottle off the shelf and we rub it when we need something good. Right? When we're going through a hard time, when we have that interview, when we need that financial boost, whatever it is, like we, 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 we ask God for these blessings, for these gifts. And then when we don't need something from him, we put the bottle back up on the shelf. The problem with this approach to God is that uh, when we don't get what we think we need, when we don't get what we want, that's when we take the bottle and we say, well, Forget that. Like, I've tried that. I've been there, done that. God didn't help me, and so now I'm done, right? Last week, we talked about this idea uh, as God as command giver, that God is the one who dispenses these commands, and because he's sort of this angry and oppressive God, you have to do everything you can in your power to perform. Uh, it's very much a, a karma mindset in that if you perform well, if you follow the commands well, then you appease God and you get good things back. Uh, and the other side of that is if you don't, if you mess up, if you don't do the right things, then he is going to throw calamity your way, right? It's, it's kind of this uh, karma mindset. It, it's like a big vending machine. Whatever you put into it is what you get out of it. It's very much trying to uh, please God through your performance. This week, 
we're looking at this idea of God as principle maker. We're looking at God as, as principle maker. Now, it's similar to last week in that it's very much performance-based, right? Like it's still following the rules, but the motivation is different. You see, last week it was trying to appease God, but this week with this posture as God as principle maker, I'm not trying to appease God, but I don't actually need God. All I really need from him are his principles. I just need his example I don't really need him. We treat God as distant, as uninvolved, that he's the one who, who made the rules. And, and one of the reasons why this approach to God is so uh, uh, intriguing for us is because principles are just clean, aren't they? Like you know what to do, like follow the rules. They're, they're very clinical. They're, they're much cleaner and predictable more than relationships. You see, this understanding of God, this posture toward God, has ties to what's called deism. Deism is this worldview, this uh, understanding of God came about uh, a long time ago uh, with ties back to uh, Sir Isaac Newton, who was sitting in his garden doing all that he, uh, all that we all do when we're sitting in our gardens is contemplating the universe. Right? And, uh, and there he was on that day, and there's this apple tree, and he sees an apple fall from the tree to the ground. And he asks the question, why must the apple always fall to the ground? Uh, and that sort of led him to discover things like gravity, right? That, that there's this principle in the world, in the universe, that, that always happens, that gravity will always pull the apple to the ground, now, this led to the, uh, the Enlightenment, where, uh, where we as a human race uh, drastically, fundamentally changed the way we begin to understand the world, the universe, and, and God. And, and, and this is how uh, this God as principle maker works, is that God is far away, that God is distant, that, that he put all this stuff in motion. It's, it's like the watchmaker who, who builds the watch and puts all the little intricate pieces in place and then puts it in motion and then sets it away and then he's, he's, he's out. And he's just watching us sort of work our way through life. Now, one of the other reasons why this posture is appealing is because, man, life is hard, isn't it? Like life is hard. Some of you are going through incredibly difficult things right now. And wouldn't it be nice if we just had like principles, like these things that, that we can live by that will make our life better. Now, we all love principles, right? Like we all love a good life hack. You know, I mean, that's what the internet is full of now is like all these life hacks, right? Like you can go and spend your whole day watching life hack videos and most of them are probably dumb. But, but here's, a, here's a principle, uh, a few principles that you can actually take to the bank. Ready? Uh, number one, don't go to the doctor if you only have one problem. Wait until you have four or five so you get the most bang for your buck. <laughs> like that's a good principle of life. Uh, or how about this? Uh, when you're in a situation that you don't know what to do, just look really worried and walk really fast. I don't know how that'll work for you, but you should try it. Here's one that you should definitely uh, take uh, and use. Never, under any circumstances, take a laxative and a sleeping pill on the same night. <laughs> 
Now, you know, we love, we love these principles, and of course there's principles. So, so what does this look like? What are some of the principles that we want, want to live by, right? Like, like this, if I work hard, uh, then I'll be financially wealthy. If I give generously, then it will be given back to me. If I'm a good parent, then my children will have a great life. If I follow the rules, then I'll be successful in my career. If I'm a good person, then I'll go to heaven. If I av avoid the big sins, then, then I'll avoid pain and, and hardship. If I go to church every weekend, if I'm kind to my neighbor, if I, if I don't lie to my spouse, if I, if I follow the rules, like, then life will go well for me. Like, these are principles in life that I can just do, and I don't need anything else. Now, you might be thinking, Chris, this is kind of silly. Like, yeah, I, I never treat God as a principle maker. Well, I would say maybe you do, and you don't realize it. Here's a, a few questions you can ask yourself to see if, if maybe you were ever treating God in this way. Uh, here we go. Maybe you keep the rules, but you don't have much of a prayer life. That what would Jesus do, the bracelet, WWJD, is the most important idea in the Christian life for you. Maybe God feels distant most of the time, especially in the mundane or painful parts of life. When God does seem distant, your response in those situations is just to try harder. Or, or maybe you'd agree with this statement, or maybe you've even said this statement, that look, even if this Jesus thing isn't real, the principles that he taught are good, and I'm going to live by those. You sense a lot of pressure to perform and to do better. When you see something in your life that you don't like, like a bad habit, an addiction, impure thoughts, selfishness, whatever it might be, your, your reaction is to try harder. And if that doesn't work, then you keep trying harder. And, and if that doesn't work, then you resort to hiding or avoiding. You see, the Bible is primarily a list of rules. We're going to get to that and more of that in just a moment. And you see Jesus primarily as an example and not as Savior. You see, when it comes to these postures that we've looked at each week, our hope is that each one of them will kind of like trigger a little bit in you, like going, oh yeah, I guess I do. I know for me, like each one of these weeks, I look at these and I go, yeah, I do treat God that way sometimes. God, I want to understand you better. God, I want to interact with you better. I want to understand who you are more clearly. And so that's, that's why we're doing this series. And so we're going to jump into... Philippians chapter 3 today. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to that, uh, to those verses, starting in verse 4. But before we dive into the text today, would you say a prayer with me? Well, God, thank you for this morning. And God, we, we, uh, we come to you today, and, and Lord, we desire to know you. God, wherever we're at, whether we've been following you for 50 years or we're brand new to this whole thing, God, we want to know you for who you are. We want to know you more clearly and more deeply. So God, would you show us today, would you by your spirit illuminate in us where we might be misunderstanding you and what you're like? And God, that you would replace that with the truth. So God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. All right, in Philippians chapter 3, this is a a letter written by this guy named Paul. And Paul uh, was a guy that used to be named Saul, and uh, he used to go by the name Saul. And and before he was Paul, he was uh, like one of the high up leaders in Judaism. Like he was was one of the best of the best. And and he had this uh, incredible uh, conversion experience where where he was on his way to actually go and persecute Christians, because that's what a good Jew did back then. And and God knocked him off of his horse. Uh, He was blinded by the light. It's an amazing story. If you've missed it, go back and read it in the book of Acts. And here he's sort of talking about what was going on in him before and after his conversion. All right. And so so here we are in Philippians chapter three. And he says it this way. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he goes on to list his resume. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law. I'm a Pharisee as to zeal. I'm a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Now, what Paul's basically doing here is he's saying, look, I was the one who followed all the rules. Like when it comes to living the principled life, nobody's doing it better than I was. Like I had everything down and everybody else knew it. Like nobody could beat me when it comes to doing everything right. Look at all that I've done. It's one of the reasons why this approach is so appealing to us because it allows us to sort of build our resume. Like look how kind I am to my neighbors. Look, I've never done this. I've never cheated on my spouse. Like, I've, I, I don't do all these bad things. And look how much money I give to the, the, the people who are in need. And, and look at all these things that I've done. It just becomes this big resume builder. Uh, and as we, uh, as we approach God as the principle maker, what that does is it changes the way we understand his word. You see, we begin to understand the Bible as not the revelation of God, but simply as an instruction manual. You see, I have instruction, manual, instruction manuals for my vehicles at home, but where do they sit 99% of the time? They sit in the garage on a shelf, right? I only pull them off when I have a problem, when I have a broken car, when something's going on. And we, we begin to treat the Bible like an instruction manual, <clears throat> that it's God's resource for principles of life. Or maybe you've heard it described as B-I-B-L-E, it's basic instructions before leaving earth, right? Like that's, that's what it is. Like, now, here's the thing. Does the Bible have instructions? Absolutely. Uh, does the Bible give us principles to live by? Absolutely. Uh, is it, does it lead to well-being and human flourishing? Absolutely. But not completely. In fact, Sky Jathani in his book called With, he says it this way. When the Bible is primarily seen as a depository of divine principles for life, it fundamentally changes the way we engage God and his word. Rather than a vehicle for knowing God and cultivating communion with him, we search the scriptures for applicable principles that we may employ to control our world and our life. This is not Christianity. 
This is Christian deism. In other words, we actually replace a relationship with God for a relationship with the Bible. If one has the repair manual, why bother with the expense of a mechanic? You see, when we start to treat the Bible as a list of hacks, right? Like, I'm going to search the scriptures for six principles to be a better husband, right? Or, or I'm going to look for five principles to be a better parent or, or ten principles to manage, Jesus, uh, manage money the way that, that Jesus did. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about those things, but the Bible is not primarily about all of those things, so what is it? Like, what is the purpose of Scripture? Like, isn't it supposed to be helpful? Shouldn't I go here when I'm having troubles in life? Like, shouldn't I go here when I'm looking for answers? Absolutely. But it's more than that. What is the purpose of Scripture? Jesus actually tells us the answer. He's talking to a group of Pharisees in John chapter 5, and he says this, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you will have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, that bear witness about me. You see, what Jesus is saying here is, look, this is not just about life hacks. This is not just about finding those things to bring about flourishing in your life, though it contains that. Really, what these pages contain is a revelation of God of himself to us. Both Old and New Testament, every single line, every single word bears witness about Jesus and who he is and what he is like. His revelation to us. But here's the thing. It's possible to follow the principles in front of us. It's possible to follow the, the rules that, that God put in place and totally miss Jesus. Did you know that? It's possible to do all the right things and totally miss Jesus. And this is where, this is where this understanding of God, this is where this posture toward God ultimately begins to break down. Because not only do you and I have a deep desire for human flourishing and wholeness, Right? Like all of us, none of us want to have hard lives. Like we want our families to be well. We want to have financial stability. We want to have great kids who are, have great jobs. Like we want all these good things that lead to human flourishing and they're all well and fine. But not only does every human being want those things, but every human being also has a deep down desire that the most principled life cannot fill that no amount of success, no amount of ordered life, no amount of following the principles can fill this need. And this is where it breaks down, and this is where it started to break down for Saul. Because he was the best of the best. He was doing it all right. And then he writes these words in verse 7 of Philippians chapter 3. He says this, But whatever I gained, I counted it as loss. I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of what? Of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain 
Christ and be found in him. And here it is, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. You see, like Saul, at some point, we all realize that as much as the principles are good to live by, that our ability to maintain the principles ultimately falls short. And that deep down need in every one of our souls remains. And there we are at a fork in the road. And there's two options for us. One option is that we can either just continue to try harder, continue to just follow the rules, continue to just apply these principles, and in so doing, totally miss Christ. Or we can take the other way, which is a way of surrender, which is a way of seeing Jesus not primarily as my example, but seeing Jesus primarily as my Savior. See, there's a huge, huge difference. You see, one of the main postures, or one of the main, one of the main problems with this posture is that it blinds us to our need of a Savior. Because either we're, 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 we're doing a good job following the principles or we're really good at faking it. But either way, we actually deceive ourselves into thinking that I don't really need saving as much as the next guy. Like, I don't really need saving as much as he does or she does. It's deceiving. In fact, when I was around 20 years old, I went through this two-year season of, of struggle where my faith was, uh, I, I just questioned everything about it. I doubted, I had a lot of doubts, I had a lot of questions. I, 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 I walked away from the church as I was sort of wrestling with these deep, deep questions. And, and I remember at one point, I came to this point where I, where I asked the question, and it was an honest question. But I asked the question, like, what is it that I need to be saved from? <laughs> like, I, I haven't really done anything. Like, I haven't really done any of the bad stuff, right? Like, the big bad stuff that we all try to avoid. Like, I haven't done any of those things. Like, I, I was the kid that was, the, like, the, 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 the picture-perfect kid in youth group. In fact, in youth group, I was one of the youth leaders as a, as a high schooler. And out of high school, I got hired right away uh, to be involved in the youth and college ministries. Like, I was picture-perfect. I did everything right, just like Paul was talking about. And I got to a point in my struggling, in my doubting, where I'm like, I don't see why I need saving. What do I need saved from? And maybe you haven't come out and ask that question. But could it be that deep down inside, you, you really don't know what you need to be saved from because you've done a pretty good job of just following the rules? You see, for me, I began this process and, and God in his grace began to kind of peel the onion back and peel all the layers back and, and, and these facades, these, these masks that I had put up in order to maintain this, this principled looking life. And he began to peel all of these away. And it was pretty quickly that I realized, oh man, God, I need saving. Like I can't do it. I've tried, I've tried really hard. And I thought I was doing a pretty good job. But Jesus, I, 
I need you more than just as an example. I need you as a savior. You see, I began to notice this huge void, this, as the layers peeled away, this void that was this intimate relationship with Jesus. And I realized that Jesus had already done what I could not do. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Jesus, uh, Paul says it this way. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Like, there it is. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that right, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, Jesus is not simply the principal maker who set the earth in motion and now sits back uninvolved and uninterested. But intentionally and miraculously, he stepped down into our world, out of heaven, and inserted himself into our broken world to do what you and I could not do, living the perfect life, dying a horrible death, and raising back to life. Why? So that he could draw near to you and that you can draw near to him. Doing what we couldn't do. You see, the burden of functioning as God is the principle maker is just way too heavy. Because in the end, we can't do it. It's an impossible weight to carry. That's not what the Christian life is about. So what is the Christian life about? David Heron says it beautifully. He says this, at its foundation, Christianity is not a set of doctrines, though it includes that. It's not a set of practices or lifestyles, though it will produce that. It's not a tradition or a history uh, though it has that, it is, it is not a philosophy or even a theology, though it teaches the most profound of all philosophies and theologies. And here it is. It is rather the person of God the Father seeking man that he might recreate him by his incarnate son, Jesus the Messiah. Man, isn't that a beautiful picture? Like that's what the Christian life is about, is Jesus Christ recreating us. <laughs> like through this relationship, through the way that he paid for us to come to him, that now he recreates us from the inside out. Because some of you might be thinking, well, wait a second, Chris, hold on. Like time out, isn't obedience important? Like over and over and over again in scripture, we see this idea of obedience. And I would say, absolutely, it's very important, but your obedience gets you nothing outside of Jesus. And really it's Jesus and his work through his spirit in us that produces the fruit of obedience. So you wanna be more patient? Guess what? Don't try harder to be more patient. It's the fruit of the work of the spirit in you that brings about patience. You see, when it comes to the principles that Jesus gives us, they are meant to lead to human flourishing, but it is all about his work in us, transforming us from the inside 
out. It's not about just trying harder, not needing him, but you can just go ahead and do it. But instead, it's about surrendering and allowing him to work. Now, I just want to, before we close this time, I just want to speak to those of you who are just going through an excruciating season right now. Whatever it might be, life is upside down. It's painful. You're, you're not quite sure what's going on. Maybe it's a health issue or a, a family issue or a marriage issue or a financial issue, whatever it might be. You see, sometimes this posture looks like this, that when we're in that season of pain, we automatically think, well, Jesus isn't helping me. Like Jesus isn't here. In fact, it's hard. It's hard to, to sense the presence of God with us, especially in seasons of pain. And so oftentimes our reaction to that is, well, I just, I guess I'm just going to have to dig myself out of this hole. I guess I'm just going to have to grin and bear it. I guess I'm just going to have to apply more principles. I guess I'm just going to have to try harder and work through it. That God is distant. He's not active. He's not interested. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. And I just want to ask you, like, do you think that Jesus would go through what he went through by stepping out of heaven putting on flesh, limiting himself, not considering equality with God, something to hold on to, but, but limiting himself and, and entering into our broken world, uh, dying a criminal's death. You think that he would go through all of that just to leave you now? It's a resounding no. One of the most important things we can remember is that he is active all the time. In your life, in your situation right now, he is active. He is working. He is concerned. He has inserted himself uh, and like he always has. He is involved. He is still a saving God. He is still a God that remembers you and loves you and calls you by name. He's not some far off God that we get to just navigate his rules without him, but he's an involved and active God. Let's say a prayer. God, we thank you for this truth. God, would you forgive us for when we try to follow all the rules, but we forget you? God, would you forgive us when we try to put on the facades that, that we're actually better than we really are? God, forgive us when we think that we don't really need saving. God, would you bring us to that point again of just remembering our deep need for you? God, and through that connection with you, through that relationship with you, that you would bring about the transformation in our hearts from the inside out. God, that your principles and, and uh, God, the things that you have set in motion would be, would be life-giving for us, that we would see the, the human flourishing in our lives and in our families because of obedience, but obedience through the transforming work of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for it. God, we need you. And it's in your good name we pray these things.
Amen. If you're here today and, and you would like to have a conversation with someone about what it means to, to have a relationship with Jesus, what it means to follow him, put your faith in him, we'd love to have that conversation with you. You can text the name Jesus to this number and a real life person will get back in touch with you. And we're gonna remember communion today. Remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. And you know, that's the command he gave us, isn't it? It says, whenever you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, remember, remember, remember that God is a God who is involved. Remember that God is a God who inserted himself. Remember that God is a God that loves you so much that he put on flesh and blood to be near you. So that's what we do today. We remember. It was on that night that he was betrayed that he took the bread and he gave thanks and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Let's remember together. And then taking the cup, giving thanks, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Whenever you drink of this, remember. Let's remember together. Friends, we're going we're, we're gonna to respond to our good God this morning in song. And uh, during this time of singing, man, we'd love to pray with you. There's going to be people back here under the prayer banner who would love to, to pray with you. No matter what it is that's going on in your world, let us come alongside you and lift you up, all right? Let's stand together as we sing.